The reading from the Gospel comes from Luke and it's one of the continuing stories following the resurrection. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is, sorry, is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Whatever happened at the resurrection, the Gospels are very keen for us to know that it was real, that Jesus was real and alive. Not exactly the same Jesus that they knew because in at least three places they don't recognise him when he turns up even though he'd been, they'd been with him for three years prior to his crucifixion. And he seems to be able to appear inside of rooms that are locked and just suddenly appear. And he seems to be able to appear to lots of people all at once in Jerusalem. So whatever's going on, it's not quite the same, but it's really important for the gospel writers to tell us, the readers, that this was a real person. So that's why we get this story and the others. And it's interesting to know, to ask why, why do they need us to know that Jesus is flesh and bone? Well, one of the reasons is because they're writing to people who didn't experience it for themselves. The Gospel of Luke was probably written down about 50 years after the events it's telling. And given that the life expectancy of the average life expectancy in the first century was about 35 years of age, the chances of there being anybody much left behind at this point who was there at the beginning is pretty rare. So really, they're just like us. The Gospel was written for anyone who didn't turn up on that day on those days afterwards. So it's unlikely that there were any eyewitnesses. These are 
for, these are written for us as much as they are for the people of the first century. They didn't know, of course, that we would be reading this 2,000 years later and they might be, they might have written it differently. They might have given us a few more clues as to things that seemed so obvious at the time. We also have some texts from a little earlier than that, say about 20 years or 30 years, we're not sure, after these events. So a couple of years earlier. And they're the letters of Paul. They're the first writings we have of anybody who might finally end up calling themselves Christians. Certainly following Jesus, as far as we can tell uh, from the book of Acts, people called themselves followers of the way. That's how they describe themselves. Paul doesn't tell us very much about the resurrection. He either assumes all the facts are known by, to the people to whom he's writing, or it doesn't seem that important to him, the elements of it. Of course, remember the Gospels don't actually tell us much about the resurrection either. What they tell us is about after the resurrection. Jesus is crucified, he's buried, and then the next thing we get is people telling us about the resurrection, either angels or disciples or Jesus himself as he appears to people. But Paul goes on and on and on in his letters about the fact that Jesus was raised. Now in the ancient world, the idea of resurrection was not particularly difficult to understand. Mostly because there were legends about people coming back to life. There was a legend that didn't last that long, but it was a legend that Julius Caesar had come back to life. There was another one about Caesar Augustus, his grandson. Grandson or nephew? Anyway, the next emperor. Um, and there was also one about um, Alexander the Great. So the question wasn't so much for the first century that people could come back to life. That was understandable in a sense. They knew that in the ordinary scheme of things that couldn't happen. They knew, like we do, dead is dead. But in exceptional circumstances, the legends, the stories, it's probably possible because these people were extraordinary and had ruled the world. Their problem would have been, why this one? Not that somebody could come back from the dead, but why Jesus? He's like nobody. Nobody's even heard of him. He's from the back end of nowhere that nobody cares about, the problem uh, province that the Romans are trying to subdue all the time. He, he doesn't do anything. And plus, he's a criminal. If he wasn't a criminal, the Romans wouldn't have crucified him. And not only was, a, was he a criminal, but he was a terrorist. The worst kind of criminal. He was trying to overthrow Rome. You only got crucified if you were a terrorist what the Jews might have called a freedom fighter, but the Romans definitely called a terrorist and a troublemaker. Paul says this one was crucified and was raised by the power of God. Now, Paul doesn't quite explain what the power of God is, but whatever it is, it raised up Jesus. That's what he says. But not only that... Paul extrapolates from that in his thinking. This experience he's, he's, he's had of this understanding of Jesus being raised. And he says, this is not a single event. Paul says, we are being raised. Not just Jesus. This is what he says in Romans. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The spirit of God or the power of God. So the God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your bodies. He will do this because of his spirit who lives in you. 
So for Paul, it's really important, like it is for Luke, even though Paul doesn't give us much detail, it's really important that Jesus actually was alive in a some sort of corporal way that could be understood. And it's important because he says that's what's going to happen, that is happening to all of us. That's why the insistence on this idea of a bodily resurrection. Even though it's different and we can't really access it other than through these strange stories in the gospel. It will be strange too. Paul says it's strange because in another letter in the first Corinthians where he writes to the people of Corinth, he says, look, it's like a seed when it goes into the ground. The seed doesn't look anything like the plant that arrives later. But if you do it right and if you trust it, what starts out like that becomes like that. And, and unless you really know, you know, unless you're a good gardener or a good botanist, it's pretty hard to tell one seed from another, for those of us who don't know. Oh, if, what if I plant this seed? What am I going to get? I don't know. Let's plant it and see what happens. Because something will grow out of it. But it won't be the same. It'll all be changed. And so Paul says, if, if this resurrection of Jesus is true, then it must be true for everyone. And it must be true that everyone will be changed. And he may have in mind, I think, the fact that he's heard these stories that are still not written down yet. But he's heard these stories of Jesus appearing in a kind of real but not real, a kind of ordinary but strange way. And so he says, well, of course, if the power of God has completely animated the life of Jesus, he's not going to ever be the same. And if the power of God animates any of us, we're not going to be the same either. That's his argument. It's not, it's not easy to understand, is it? But that's his argument. How does it happen? Well, Paul doesn't actually tell us. He doesn't really know. And it's as if, how do you fall in love? Well, I don't know. I could tell you some of the ways I've fallen in love. Some of them have been great. Some of them have been terrible. You could tell me some of the ways you've fallen in love. I could give you a hundred poems about falling in love and a thousand songs and a thousand more about falling out of love. Especially if you like country music. Just me and my dog. That's all now. But how do you do it? Well, it just seems like the sort of stupidest question, doesn't it? It's not, it's kind of the wrong, it's like using a spanner when you need a screwdriver. It's, it just doesn't fit. But Paul says it is like a seed growing. Paul understands that bodily resurrection of Christ is beyond this one person, this one event from 2,000 years ago. In fact, he says, not only is this going to be true for all of us, but we are the body of Christ. Now, I know you, like me, many of you, you've been in this church or other churches for so long, you hear these words and they go straight over your head. Uh, I've heard this, I know. Yeah, we're the body of Christ, blah, blah, blah. You know, some of us are hands, some of us are heads. And all. But it's actually really... <laughs> really strange and revolutionary. You mean, I'm not the body of Rick or Ruth. That, how could that... It's, it's about as strange as that. What do you mean? You mean that Jesus, who was alive and then was crucified, and then in some strange way that Paul is talking about and that Luke then amplifies, is alive in the world, I'm his body, or actually Paul says corporately we are, for in one spirit you were baptised, in one power you were baptised, into one body. 
Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to partake in the one spirit. Paul's idea is that the, the, the resurrection is not an event that happened 2,000 years ago, after which you put a full stop and then you decide whether you believe it or not. I find it hard to believe that people could come back to life, so I'm not a Christian. I find that believable, sort of, so I am a Christian. Paul's not interested in that in the slightest. What he's interested in is saying, if that event is even remotely true, then it cannot be contained in the one body of one human being. Which is why I think he doesn't give us much information about Jesus' resurrection, because that's not the important bit. The important bit is that that power is animated through the whole of creation. We all now are one people. The idea that Jews and Gentiles could be one people, the idea that the slaves and the free, slaves were not human. If you know anything about the work of the abolitionists in America after, uh, before the Civil War and through it, they were dealing with people, slave owners, who adamantly believed, or at least said they did, that the people with whom, for whom they were, uh, had become owners were not human. They were different species. Paul is saying there is no slave or free. There is no Jew or Gentile. It's all one. It's a remarkable, extraordinary idea. Do you know that you are God's temple? He says in Corinthians earlier on. What Paul is saying is that whatever is happening is a universal bringing together of all things. And when you think about it like that, when you think, okay, what if that's true? What if this sort of idea of resurrection, of death and then life, of life coming out of death all the time? Well, you know, I bang on about this all the time, don't I, about the fact that we understand the cosmos now in a way that many world religions have done for centuries, but we now understand it from a scientific point of view, that we are actually all made of the same stuff. We are coming from the same cosmic explosion. Everything that is you was something else and everything that is you will become something else. Life will continue to grow. But you see it all the way through the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. What happened? There's a flood. The entire earth is flooded in the great story. And what comes out of that? New life. Abraham and Sarah... Ancient people who can't, are well beyond childbearing. Death, what happens? New life, and in fact, according to the Jews, an entire nation. The exodus, these great stories of the Jews, the exile, these two great stories, out of death, out of, out of destruction, comes new life. The resurrection is not an account of something that happened once to another person a long time ago. It's not an anomaly. Well, Jesus was resurrected, but people I've loved have died. Why haven't they come back to life? It doesn't make any sense. It's not that kind of story that Paul wants to tell us. He wants to tell us that life is constantly coming out of death. And that's why I was praying earlier that there's actually lots of little deaths and little goings away in our lives all the time. Sometimes we survive them and sometimes we feel like we won't. But out of them can come new life. That's the energy, the power that Paul is talking about. And it's not, it doesn't feel like enough sometimes to me. Like, you know, when I've got a headache, 
I know I could sort of take a deep breath, lie down, try and relax, but mostly I just want to take a pill. You know, like I want, I want the shortcut. And, and that's okay if I get one headache every so often, but if I'm getting them every day, you know, like it, there's got to be somewhere I've got to be able to be willing to open up the pain inside that is causing the headache. Whatever it is I'm bottling up that's making my blood boil. And, and I think Paul, at least at one level, is inviting us to be open to the power of this change and growth and renewal that comes all the time, even though we so often can't see it. And even though the disciples in Luke say, and, and nobody's really figured out how to translate this, but they were disbelieving and wondering at the same time. It's Some people have said they were saying, this is too good to be true. I, I can't believe it. I mean, which doesn't mean I'm not believing it. It means that I'm not sure whether I can trust what I'm experiencing. I, and there's this sense where you just have to wait with it. This is what I'm experiencing. I don't know what it means. I don't know whether I can trust it. But what if I can? What if this person standing there really is Jesus in a new form that I can connect to? What if the experience I'm having out of that can really come a great moment of renewal and rebirth and joy. What if? Yeah, what if? Let's stop there. Thanks, Sheila.